Welcome back to Erita, to the life and times of Warwick's farm. Today is the last reading, the final chapter of our book, Canterbury Tales. So I thought I'd read the chapters, the, the chapter 18 on the epilogue first, and then just have a little talk about the book. Chapter 18, Mystery, Mayhem and Madness. Over the years we have experienced more strange and unusual things than we could ever have imagined at Warwick's farm. From attending to UFOs and discovering chickens' eggs with built-in buttons, to having roosters sitting on eggs and discovering Elaine's horse honey with a mysteriously plaited mane, among others, it has been hard to find a chapter to cover such individual events, so I have decided to put them all together here. The first story I'd like to relate is that of Basil, a mature Chinese silky rooster, who for a period, due to a shortage of available accommodation along Poultry Lane, had to rough it in the pigeon loft. One late afternoon in early spring, I was doing my daily rounds of the trookhouses, feeding, refreshing the water and collecting eggs, and called into the pigeon loft to take care of room service for Basil. My entry to the loft was a signal for a squadron of white fantail pigeons to push and shove their way onto the landing platform, and then fight for position around the feeder. All the sudden commotion caused Basil to shift from his comfy position in his straw-strewn corner, and reveal the green egg he had been sitting on. For those of you city dwellers, just a reminder that roosters don't lay eggs, it's hens. I rubbed my eyes in amazement. A rooster in a pigeon loft is one thing, but to be sitting on an egg was another, and for that egg to be green was even more astonishing. When I say green egg, I do not mean an old egg that has started to rot, but an egg with a slightly green tinge to it that are laid by our Aracana chickens from South America. After much speculation, it was decided that the only logical conclusion was that I must have left a collected Aracana egg on the ground as I attended the, to the feeding, and Basil had applied a Silky's nurturing instinct and taken responsibility for it. However, the mystery deepened the following day when a second green egg appeared under him. Now I was determined to get to the bottom of this mystery, and began staking out the area. Fortunately, it was not very long before I apprehended the Aracana hen, who was supplying Basil's with his, Basil with his eggs. She was located on the other side of the wall where Basil nestled in one of our Aracana coops, and I caught her nudging a third egg through the gap under the wall to him. It was decided for the sanity of all concerned that Basil be relocated to a more fitting abode. A few years ago we were given some tadpoles, which we decided would be an interesting and low-maintenance addition to the menagerie. We set them up in a glass tank, furnished with decorously placed semi-precious stones and interesting pieces of driftwood outside on a sideboard adjacent to the barbecue area. For the top of the tank we made up a frame that could be easily lifted off and covered the top in shade cloth and then sat back and enjoyed watching the tadpoles slowly evolve into small tree frogs. However once fully formed three of the six frogs slowly over the course of a week or so disappeared. You would see them as you passed by and then a few hours later one would be gone. We searched the tank for any amphibious corpses hidden under stones or wood and looked suspiciously at the other frogs for any signs of cannibalism, but the mystery remained. The top of the tank had not been dislodged and appeared secure, and we were running out of answers. We got lucky, however, and sprung the fourth frog, making his break for freedom. The small, slimy little thing had shimmied up the wall of the tank to the top, and when we caught him, he was squeezing through a very tight space between the tacks that held the shade cloth in place. I would not have believed it if I hadn't seen it. I would have thought that the abrasive shade cloth would have lacerated the fine slippery skin of the frog and would have been far too painful for it to attempt. However, 
this was obviously not the case. Fortunately, the mystery was solved, while we still had some frogs, and once the shake cloth was replaced by muslin, the disappearing axed ceased. We've had several horses over the years, including Jesse, Kibi, Honey and Fernando, the miniature horse who is still with us. This story involves Honey, Elaine's lovely chestnut mare, who originally lived in Gisborne in the North Island, and spent many years being ridden bareback by a number of children of the greater family that owned her. Honey settled in well and became great friends with Kibi, my large retired standard bred mare, and Elaine and I enjoyed riding together around the large five-acre paddock, which had been used as a racecourse training track by a previous owner. One warm spring day I decided to find the horses to brush out some of their winter coat before the weather got too hot, and was startled to discover that Honey had had a makeover. This was in the form of a neatly plaited mane. The lovely golden hair of a mane had been interlaced into sets of three knotted ropes. Horses, while being highly intelligent animals, are incapable of such manual dexterity, and Elaine confirmed that she had not done it. We decided that the young friend of Cody's who had stayed for a sleepover over the weekend and whose mother owned some horses must have done it. On further investigation, though, that, that appeared not to be the case as the young man had denied doing so, which also reconciled with our belief that he and Cody had spent the weekend indoors glued to the PlayStation. The mystery remains to this day, and who had taken the time and effort to enhance our lovely honey? It was a one-off event, and I wonder if it was perhaps a horse lover whose car had broken down, and had filled in the time waiting by the side of the highway, talking to honey as they went about their creative work. Honey, unfortunately, was only with us for a few years before she succumbed to a heart attack. It came on very suddenly, and she would not have suffered, as I concluded, when I found her. She had collapsed next to the fence line that she had not even had time to step away from before she keeled over, and her hooves fell through the gaps in the wire netting fence as she went down. It was a late Saturday afternoon when I noticed her lying there in the adjacent paddock as I was putting the ducks to bed. My worst fears were confirmed on closer inspection, and I went to break the sad news to Elaine. The loss of honey was the first time we had been confronted by the death of a large animal, and I wanted to dispose of the body as soon as possible, for sentimental reasons as well as health and safety ones. Our usual methods of disposal with with other dead beasties had always been either burial or a funeral pyre, where they were cremated. However, this time, burial of such a large animal was not an option, and the pile had recently been burnt off, and so cremation was not possible either. I rang a friend who owned several horses to seek advice and was given the phone number of a guy who I was told should be able to help. He bred and trained dogs and was always after a free source of, well, let's not go there. I gave him a call and he told me that he would be around first thing in the morning and just as he hung up he told me that I needed to open her up and to let the gases escape. I was just about to query this when I heard the burr of the dial tone. Open her up to let the gases escape. I repeated to myself as I sat there with the developing sinking feeling. This was during the period while I was still working full-time and just dreaming of being a farmer. I clenched my soft businessman's hands in anxious anticipation and headed off to the tool shed to find a suitable knife. I can do this, I can do this, I kept telling myself as I sharpened the old carving knife as the sparks spitting back from the newly shining blade lit up in the darkening late afternoon gloom. I didn't know if I was consciously waking very slowly, but the walk down the driveway and across the field seemed to take a very long time, until I finally found myself squatting at the late honey's side. I patted her still warm stomach, telling her what a wonderful horse she had been, and delaying the inevitable for as long as I could. 
Realising the shadows were getting ever longer, I positioned the knife blade along the seam in the middle of the stomach, closed my eyes and plunged into her. I then began hacking along the seam for a couple of feet, before pulling the knife out, and with a shaky hand and a tearful eye exa- examined my handiwork. Hardly what could be described as a surgical incision, but I had at least opened her up so that the gases could escape. I decided before returning to the cottage, where I fell into Elaine's comforting embrace. Unfortunately, there was an unpleasant part two of the operation to endure the following morning. The dog guy assumed that I'd have a front-end loader or some other device to lift the horse into his trailer, and I had assumed that he would have a winch or something to complete the operation. We both stood close to Honey, who I was trying not to look at, as her ganglia had ballooned up enormously and were now hanging out of her courtesy of my surgery, as he scratched his head and thought, and I scratched mine in dismay. It hadn't helped that he was close to an hour late arriving for the pickup. We ended up placing his trailer in a hollow on the cambered racing track close to where Honey lay, and after opening her legs and attaching the length of rope to the tow bars of our old four-wheel drive vehicles, we on the second attempt were able to bounce the poor girl into the trailer as the vehicle shot over the edge of the hollow at speed. I was really not impressed with the whole episode and we have since made much better arrangements for the urgent dispatch of any large dead beasties. I hopped out to make sure Honey was securely inside the trailer. Her body was, but as the dog guy headed off with another bounce, her head hung down over the back of the trailer. I gently lifted it back up and secured it, saying a fond farewell. And as her head lay safely back inside, it too managed a farewell in the form of a big gob of blood that spurted out and landed on my face. It seemed to me a fitting end to a most unpleasant experience. A more intriguing experience was the day we were discovered in the Arakana chicken coop, along with two or three green-tinged eggs, which by now were no longer a novelty, a couple of eggs a third of the size with a little button-like protuberance, like a little nipple at the sharp end of the egg. We had over the years come across eggs with soft, squishy shells and round eggs and also small eggs belonging to large birds but this was the first time we had found one with nipples attached. The other anomalies were usually the result of a chook's first egg being laid, but what caused this aberration is still a mystery to this day. Another mystery that was solved quite quickly, though to be totally honest, not technically proven, was the discovery of a strange piece of rock I discovered as I was filling the water buckets before doing the rounds of Poultry Lane. As you can imagine, after using the same tap day after day for years and then waiting while two 20-litre buckets of water are filled, you get to know quite intimately the space that surrounds you. It was with some surprise, therefore, when I noticed the smallest piece of rock lying up at my feet where no rock had lain before. Warwick's farm has plenty of stones, the majority being river stones. However, this one was totally different. It was the size of a cake of soap and quite heavy with a dark grey appearance and covered in borer-like holes. It was quite smooth on the edges, and on one side that curved over onto itself, where it had obviously broken off a larger piece. My first thought was that it must be part of the macadam from the highway, with it broken off and being flicked off the road by a passing vehicle. I looked towards the highway that was concealed behind the ancient Macrocarpa hedge, and realised this couldn't have happened. Besides, it was too heavy a mass to be part of the road. By now the buckets are full, and I dropped it back on the ground and continued my chores. Later that day, I found myself still mystified by this enigmatic piece of rock and by a process of elimination, decided that the only direction it could have come from was above. I decided to Google space rock images 
and within seconds I was staring at a variety of shapes and sizes of the piece of rock I had chucked back onto the ground a few hours earlier. The borer-like holes were caused by atmospheric pressure, and the smoothness would have been caused when it became superheated and then later cooled down. First thing the next morning, after checking that my hands didn't have a radioactive green glow to them, I retrieved my now-identified flying object and found a nice place to display it in the barn. So far we've we've not had it tested, but I'm almost certain that it has come from the skies above, and besides, why risk debunking a great story? I'm very pleased, though, that I was not standing there waiting for the buckets to fill with water when it did arrive, for I may not, not now be here to share the story with you. Epilogue While this book has been the story of how Elaine and I, along with our wonderful animals, created a unique lifestyle and business, I couldn't finish without acknowledging and thanking the wonderful two-legged creatures who have been part of our journey. Bruce Warwick, Elaine's ex-husband, works as a boat builder and likes nothing better, like most people, than to come home and have a glass of wine and curl up in front of the television. Over the years, he has nodded cynically to himself as he overhears our plans for the farm, thinking to himself, oh yeah, we will see. And over the years, he has seen. To give him his due, though, he does get off the couch and helps out particularly when we have been busy with guests. Having a handy handyman around has always been very helpful over the years. You'll notice the large number and variety of chicken coops along Poultry Lane. Well, the rustic looking ones are mine, while the most conventional ones are Bruce's. He's also a far better trailer backer-upper than I will ever be. The boys, Dean, Adam and Cody, while being devoted to aficionados of high entertainment of the various size screen technology, have also been available when required to help out with guests and animals over the years. They have also been very understanding when the financial resources have not been available to do for them what we may otherwise have been able to do if we hadn't pursued our dream. The same goes for my three children in Sydney, Joshua, Stuart and Madeline, who have shared the journey from a distance with the occasional memorable visit. Brenda and Neil Lester, fellow alpaca breeders who have become good friends over the years, have very generously lent us their alpaca float for many of the shows we have attended. They have been very supportive of our venture, and Brenda, a fellow crafter, was instrumental with Elaine in getting the Selwyn Spinners Group off the ground. As they say, a friend in need is a friend indeed, and Neil and Brenda have many times offered a sanctuary in times of floods, snow blizzards and so on, fortunately none of which so far have we had to accept. Rose Gilbert, a very long-time friend of Elaine's, has also donated her float to the cause over the years. Another alpaca breeder, she has worked closely with us in improving the grey genetics of our herd. Nick Cooper and Linda Blake from Southern Alpacas have been working with us and our alpacas for 15 years now and have been instrumental, slowly but surely, in the creation of our top quality herd of nice-natured alpacas. Every farm needs the services of a, of a good vet and a rare breed's farm needs the services of a rare breed of a vet and that's who we have in Monique Conning. Trained as a medical doctor in her native Holland, Monique retrained as a vet in New Zealand. What could be better than having a vet with a bedside manner? Monique is a mobile vet, which is perfect for our requirements, and she's become a friend too over the years, always mindful of our financial situation. Long-time friends of Elaine's are Patricia and Colin Winder. Now getting on in age, they have been very supportive of Warwick's farm over the years. They help us keep our ever-growing compost heap under control by utilising sackfuls of it in their lovely country garden. Pat's huge enthusiasm for life and cheerful disposition and sense of mischief never fail to give us a boost when times are hard. There are a host of others who have helped us over the period with our rare breeds and supplies and crafts, including Sidere and Arena with our rabbits, Gavin with our poultry, Carmel with our guinea pigs, 
Barry with our hay, Nick with our home kill, and Bev with our crafts. A special mention goes to Boone, a captain with Singapore Airlines, who stayed with us a few years ago with his family, and has remained in touch, often bringing flight crew for visits, talking us up across the world. Another special mention goes to Chantelle Stallard, the bravest girl we know, daughter of my oldest friend Tony. Chantelle, aged 12, is battling leukaemia, and I've been sharing our life on the farm with her in a weekly letter. She has made us appreciate how precious life is and how lucky you are to live one such as ours. I would finally like to thank you, dear reader, for giving us the opportunity to relive our journey and share it with you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have so far. And that concludes Canterbury Tales. I thought I'd just give you a little rundown, a little interview of myself, so to speak, about why I wrote the book. Well, it's probably for personal uh, reasons. I thought we we're going to be retired for a long time, and there's so many stories. If you don't write them down, they'll just get lost in, in time. So, as a personal and a family memoir, something we can pass down to the family, that was the initial thought, and we thought we'd see where I'd see where it went from there. Also, ego comes into it too. I've always wanted to write a book and to be able to call myself an author, so it was pretty special. How did I write it? Well, in 2014, Elaine had for a couple of years been spending her evenings cleaning at uh, Lincoln University in the evenings and uh, leaving me at home watching television or just reclining somewhere. I was feeling a little guilty. So I thought I'd use the evenings quietly in the barn putting together Canterbury Tales. So um, every night between Monday to Friday, for approximately two hours, I sat down and just recalled the stories. And uh, over the four to five months, it um, turned into the manuscript that eventually turned into the book. I started off thinking of it just as if I'm on a tour, and just relating the stories to the to my uh, to the to our tourists. So it was a series of short stories following a theme. In the background, I was playing Gregorian chants. Um, some people reckon Baroque music, when you're studying, just crystallises the mind and helps you focus. I found the Gregorian chants playing in the background was a, quite a, a quite a good aid to my uh, to my writing. Uh, the book was self-published in 2014 on uh, CreateSpace, an Amazon platform, and in 2017, uh, a British publisher picked up it, uh, picked it up, and um, it's now available online through most bookstores. So uh, if you're interested, just uh, put into the search engine Canterbury Tales with an I, uh, T-A-I-L-S, and my name, Chris Gilbert, G-I-L-B-E-R-D, and uh, yeah, most uh, online bookstores should have it available. Also, if you'd like to visit our website at any time, www.warwicksfarm.com, and also if you wanted to have a chat or just to catch up with me at any stage, contact me at chris at warwicksfarm.com. I'll just spell Warwick's Farm again. W-A-R-W-I-C-K-Z-F-A-R-M. Till next time, have a good, good time and I'll see you soon.